All right, good morning. I hope you had a good time of communion. Uh, thank you to Ian's son. That was, that was spot on. I loved it. Um, yes. So, okay, guys, we're, we're at that time uh, of church today where we're going to have the message, all right? And uh, as most of you know, we're going through a series. This whole, this whole year, the theme is Knowing God. And we're going through the Old Testament to know God more, which is, I'm finding this, this study honestly fascinating, just hearing from Joel and Grayson, uh, their takes, and, and even just in my own studies and preparation, uh, it, it's been fascinating. I feel like I'm getting to know God more, which is the whole point, right? And so uh, last week, Grayson, we, kind of, we just got into Exodus last week. Uh, Grace kind of covered the first few chapters and talked a little bit about the kind of the beginnings of Moses' call to ministry and the fact that the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt. And, you know, Grayson did an incredible job, honestly. And uh, I kind of want to just, even though he probably wouldn't want me to do this, I want to give him a little bit of a little public honor. Um, he, his, his study, his conviction uh, of the Word of God is, is honestly inspiring to me. And so I, I'm, I'm just inspired by you, Grace. I just want you to know that and that I just, I hope that you guys are inspired by his example as well. He's become uh, an awesome friend and, uh, to me and a great help uh, in, this, in the ministry. So uh, one thing that Grayson pointed out was that the Egyptians were kind of, they acted out of fear, really, mainly when they enslaved the Israelites. Israel was becoming a very strong, uh, huge, they were just, they were multiplying. They were becoming a big nation. And so the Egyptians, they were like, well, what do we do? So out of fear, they enslaved them. And so it, it kind of gave me insight that, wow, the Egyptians aren't just like this, these evil people. Sometimes we think, oh, they're just slave drivers and they're slave masters. Really, they acted out of fear, which is something that, if we really think about it, we, we tend to do very often, actually. We, we act out of fear. Uh, God cares deeply, what we saw from last week, God cares deeply about the enslavement of people. Not, not just the Israelites, people in general. Uh, whenever people are enslaved, God does seek to set them free. And he raises somebody up to set them free. I mean, we see that even with... With modern-day slavery in America, the, the people that God raised up to abolish that slavery. Um, and so the interesting thing with this is that this was actually all part of God's plan, was for Israel to be enslaved. Okay, so we're going to go to uh, Genesis uh, 15. Okay, I'm going to read this for you. We're in verse 13. As the sun was going down... A deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Okay, so notice, it's right here. It says, they will be afflicted for 400 years, but then I 
will deliver them, and they will come out with great possessions. Okay, so this is, this is, this is when Abraham was still alive. So this was part of the plan, but we think, what? You know, I, I don't know about you guys, but that makes me be like, why? Why, why? why does that make sense? 400 years of slavery, like, for what? Like, what is, what's the purpose? And, you know, we, there's just amazing insight in one little sentence in this scripture, and that's when it says, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So think about this. God is setting aside his own people for 400 years to basically give hundreds of years for this nation that does not know God a chance to repent. Like, people say that the God of the Old Testament is harsh and he's different from the God of the New Testament. Are you kidding me? Hundreds of years. To change. That's, I mean, I, just think about this. If your spouse has an affair, right? Your spouse has an affair, and you say, you know, if sometime in the next 400 years you can kind of figure out how to stop having affairs, right, then, 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 then we can make this work. Right? That's not, that's not how we look at it. It's like, no, that needs to stop right now. Or, you know, it could already be to the point where it's broken and unreconcilable. God's hundreds of years. And then we see, too, today we're going to be going through the plagues. The plagues that hit Egypt uh, for God to free the Israelites. And we see time and time again, God sends a plague. Pharaoh gives in, but then doesn't. He hardens his heart, and then God relents. But then he sends another plague, and he relents. And again and again and again, he gives Pharaoh chance after chance to soften his heart and free his people. But he does not. God extends his grace over and over and over. And the crazy thing is, is that God factors in people's sin into his plans, right? So he factors in the fact that the Amorites are very sinful, right? And you got to remember how uh, Israel got into Egypt in the first place. It's because of sin. It's because of a group of brothers conspiring to get rid of one of their brothers, and they sold him into slavery. And, well, God so happened to work that out for good, for the saving of many lives, as we learn in, in, near the end of Genesis. And so the Israelites got their sinners, and you know what? They're going to leave a group of sinners too. God's going to give them a great deliverance. But they're, they're still going to leave, and they're going to sin. And, and that's, that's far from a license to sin, but it just shows that God, he is incredible in his wisdom. All right, so we're going to look here in Exodus chapter 4. I'm going to cover this, uh, just this little piece here before we get into the plagues. Uh, we're going to be talking a lot about God's authority today. Okay. All authority belongs to God. And any illusion of authority that we think we might have, we don't. And we must surrender the, the illusion of authority that we have to God, or we will face his judgment and his wrath. And so what we're going to look at here in Exodus chapter 4 is part of the call of Moses to ministry. This is where he's meeting, uh, this is right around the time when he's meeting God in the, in the burning bush. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. The Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute 
or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you what you shall speak. And so, we see, we see some of God's authority here in this passage. You know, this passage changed, has changed my life. I remember, when I, I remember the first time I read this, when I was about 16 years old. And I was just, it's funny, I didn't like grow up in the church or anything like that. But out of a curiosity, uh, I'm, my, I was kind of just battling through an intense depression and just seeking something. I needed something. And I remember reading this. And I just remember just being totally amazed at this passage because I, you know, I hated myself so much that I remember one night I, I went, I left the house and I slept, I went to a cemetery, and I slept on top of a grave. And I, and I looked up at the sky, and I, I just I wanted to be dead. So, so I went there, and, but here's the thing, is that the, the things that I hated about myself, it's like, God made that. Right? Like, Moses is like, I can't speak. How, how can I be the one to deliver the Israelites? And God says, who made your mouth? Just help me realize that God doesn't make mistakes. And... <clears throat> You know what else, the, this, and like I said, this passage is, has changed my life because it continues to transform me. You know, honestly, I should be basically the last person in the, on earth to be up here talking about the Word of God. I just, I just want to, it's so over the top, I just want to give you guys a picture of... of of who I was and who I still am. But um, so I talk a little, I became a disciple in college. And uh, my college lifestyle, uh, a few, just a few things from, I'll just give you a window, okay, was that I had a girlfriend and, you know, I would always tell her that, like, she would, you know, she'd want to go on a date, right? I mean, that makes sense. And, I supposedly love her, so I should probably do that. And I would be like, I've always, I'd never had money. I'm sorry, I don't have any money. And because I literally would spend every single penny that came in on video games and stuff for me. And then I would tell her I don't have the money. Like, why did she stay with me for so long? <laughs> That's a scumbag move. Seriously. I had no time. I was so obsessed with, uh, I was super into like weightlifting and bodybuilding. And, and I, so what you have to do when you do that is you have to constantly cook food and constantly eat food. <laughs> so I never had time for anyone or anything. I, I had a good friend. He, like, he was a good friend to me. I was not a good friend to him. Um, he was an incredible friend to me. He wanted my help one day, like just moving a piece of furniture. And I told him I couldn't because I had to eat. 
It's like, and it was like the sixth meal of the day. Like, it wasn't like, no, let's rate at lunch, like, I need to eat lunch. No, it was like, no, that's like, you know, my post-workout, pre-workout, in-between meal, like. <laughs> it's, it's, wow, I traded everything of value for things that don't have value. When it came, when it came to speaking, I remember having speech class in college, and I would lie and avoid giving, like I would lie, I would skip, I would say I was sick to avoid giving a speech. And I remember one time I actually did this in, in, in a speech class. I like avoided and lied and manipulated my way so that I didn't actually have to do my speech in front of the class. I ended up having to give it to the teacher one-on-one, -on -one, which is actually more awkward to do a, a speech with a person one-on-one. -on -one, but I was so afraid that that's what I resorted to. And I mean, so I hope that this passage gives you faith, because whatever God calls you to, he's calling Moses to this, to this mission to free the Israelites, but he says, I will teach you what to speak. Whatever God is calling you to, he will teach you, he will help you, he'll be with you. Guys, I mean, we have the reincarnation of Esau leading our campus ministry, all right? If that's not evidence of God's power... So we are going to, so we, God has authority over even just our individual lives, okay? And now we're going to look at God's authority on a larger scale in his interactions with Pharaoh in the plagues. So go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 5. And Pharaoh asks an incredible question. It's really the same question that we're asking uh, with our sermon series. It says, Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. But Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? Do not know the Lord, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. So Pharaoh does ask the question, Who is the Lord? Which is really what we're doing when we approach the Bible. Who is God? And... You know, one thing, real quick, one thing that just drives me nuts is when people, like, there's just kind of this, not, not you guys specifically, definitely not, more like just in general, like academia and whatnot, that, that ancient people are somehow stupid. It is, the more and more I study the ancient people, the more and more I am, like, impressed by their intellect. You know, they actually had to hold information in their brains. We, we just, we have so much information and we think we're so cool because of it, but really it's just stored on our devices, right? So they actually had to put this information in their brains. And the literary genius of so many of these ancient works, especially the Bible, is amazing. And I just, I just can't stand that, that people think that because the stuff in the Bible is just because people were dumb. That's, that's just lazy. That's like lazy on the behalf of people today to think that way. You know, in, in all of our technology and everything that we have, we still can't figure out how the Egyptians built the pyramids. We really don't. Honestly, the best explanations that I've heard for that is aliens. I'm not even kidding. History Channel, they have so many hour-long sh shows on how the aliens built the, the, the pyramids, okay? Uh, that's one of them, and then... Uh, 
the other one is, the only other one that I've heard is that there's a 4,000 pound stone, like right near the top of one of those pyramids. And, and they said, the only way to get that up there is on the backs of a lot of dead men. Okay, so it's, maybe that's how they did it. I don't know. I'm not here to tell you that today. So Pharaoh is really, he's kind of a modern day thinker though. Okay, because he is not, here's the thing, guys, is he's not offended by Moses asking if they can worship God. Everybody has a God in Egypt. Everybody has their own God. Everybody wants to worship their own God. He doesn't care. What he does care about is that, who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And he's very modern, and why I say he's modern is because According to the 2016 American census, 97% of people in America believe that there is a higher power. Do 97% of people in America fear God and obey his commands? No. And we know that because America would be a much different place. And so we don't have a problem having an intellectual agreement with the fact that there's a higher power. Whatever. There's a God. But when it comes to obedience, when it comes to lordship, mm, that's, that's where the line gets drawn. And that's where the, law, the line is drawn in today's society, is when it comes to lordship. So Pharaoh so, thinks so much like we do. And so uh, we'll, we'll jump into the plagues here. All right, so go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 7. And we're going to, so here's the thing, guys. We got 10 plagues, so this sermon's got 10 points. So we're going to be here for a while. I'm just, I'm just kidding. We're actually, we're actually going to take the 10 plagues and we're going we're gonna to make them one point, okay? Just for you. All right. So now we're going to see the authority of God on a much larger scale. He, he has authority over each one of us. He made us. But now he's about to show his authority to the entire world. Uh, Exodus chapter 7, verse 20. Uh, <clears throat> says, Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord had commanded. He raised his staff in the presence of Pharaoh and his officials and struck the water of the Nile. And all the water was changed into blood. The fish in the Nile died and the river smelled so bad that the Egyptians could not drink its water. Blood was everywhere in Egypt. But the Egyptian magicians did the same thing by their secret arts. And Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace, did not take even this to heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. Okay, so this is the first plague. It's known as the plague of blood. And there's a few things that I want to point out here. Did you guys notice that the Egyptian magicians are able to do the same thing? Wow. Okay. That's, that's a, I have no idea. But here's what I do know. Because their dark forces and powers are real. Okay. They called upon their supernatural whatever, and they were able to do this. That stuff is real. Like... I was, on a, I was on a walk with my wife this week, and we were crossing a walking bridge, uh, one of the bridges uh, here in Eau Claire, 
And right on the corner, I walk by, and I realize we go by this shop, and it's like in the window, it's like your potion supplies and your spell books and like all this stuff is in there. And I'm like, that's messed up. <laughs> but it's real. And people really, and there's real power in it. And that's scary. There's not, there's not nearly the power that there is in Christ. Okay, but there is power. And there is demons. And the Bible talks about these things. And if you don't believe in them, you don't think that they're real, well then, just need to keep studying the Bible for your convictions. Okay? Another thing. That the people, they dug, so what they did, this was their solution, was the, the river is filled with blood, so they start digging trenches along the sides to get clean water. And I just, I just thought this was symbolic of what we can do. When God kind of closes a door, so it's like, nope. We're like, hmm, man, how can I work around this? And, uh, okay, so I'll dig a trench. And you know what? We, we, we're so deceived. We think that our trenches are rivers of living water, and they're not. They're going to dry up. And then, and then see, and then we know that this is how they thought because then as soon as the trenches are dug, Pharaoh's like, actually, forget it. We're, we're not, we doesn't, he hardens his heart. No, nope, I don't care. We, we figured it out. You know, God did this thing. We got the solution. It's going to dry up. You know, you can staple, you can take apples and you can staple them to a tree and for a little while it's going to look like an apple tree until those things rot. I mean, fruitfulness is just, it's just not found in these temporary man-made solutions. Okay, another thing too. So this is uh, just an old hieroglyphic, uh, I don't what's the word for that? Inscription, chiseling, whatever, of... Of the God Happy, and I, this is kind of, it's ironic, that Happy is the God of the Nile. Okay, so the Egyptian God of the Nile. And also very heavily associated with like, fruit, the idea of fruitfulness. And so God is basically saying, look, your God Happy ain't got nothing on me. And we know that, we'll actually we'll look at it a little bit, another verse that tells us exactly what God is doing with each one of these plagues. They're not random. These plagues, God's not like, I'm going to turn the, uh, what's a good idea, uh, river into blood. No, that's not what's happening. He has a message, a purpose. He's intentional. Okay, so then next, we have the plague of frogs. Okay, so here's, we're just going to read a couple verses, a couple verses from the plague of frogs. Uh, this is in Exodus 8. Yep. The Nile will teem with frogs. They will come up into your palace, in your bedroom, onto your bed, into the houses of your officials and on your people, and into your ovens and your kneading troughs. The frogs will come up on you and your people and all your officials. And then we'll skip down to verse 15. It says, But when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and would not listen to Moses and Aaron, just as the Lord had said. Could you guys imagine frogs being in your bed? Like, you wake up in the morning and there's just like, 50 frogs on your bed. That's disgusting. Okay? That's just, that gives me the, that gives me the goosebumps, you know? And, but here, here's, man, here's the thing is, it's so interesting because this, so this is the, this is the goddess of fertility, Heket. Notice that Heket's head is a frog. Okay? You know, these false gods, they make their way into our most private places, like our bed, our bedroom, our kitchen, 
right, in our thoughts. You know, one thing that I'm, well, I know this is just shameful, but I'm going to share it anyway. Yesterday, we had Grayson and Ivy over for dinner. We had a great time. And uh, <laughs> so, you know, I, I, was not, I went to the bathroom, and I had my phone with me. And so I'm sitting on the toilet, and I'm looking up videos of Brian Shaw. He's the world's strongest man. So YouTube, okay, and I'm not saying like this, if you take this isolated act that I was like in some grotesque sin or anything like that, but I'm just trying to illustrate a point that if, which actually I do, I have this tendency that every second that I get to like go to entertain, like, so I'm watching video, I have company over, so I'm taking a little bit longer in the bathroom than I should because I'm watching videos of Brian Shaw the world's strongest man, because I like to watch him lift heavy things. Like, but it makes, it makes its way, these sorts of things, they make their way into our most private places and thoughts in our lives. And you notice, too, guys, we're so, oh, man, we're so like this. As soon as there was relief, Pharaoh hardened his heart. Frogs were gone. He's like, oh, yeah, actually, no. You know, I just think about, like, when we, when we want something from God, when we need something from God, and we get it, what's it, like a couple months later, we're just the same discontent, disgruntled person that we were a few months ago. We forget. That's why we need, that's why God is the true God. We gotta, we gotta stick with him. And so this was God's judgment on Hiket. By the way, this is a real problem because in Egypt, frogs were a sacred animal. You weren't allowed to kill them. Problem. There's 10 billion frogs, and we can't kill any of them. Okay? All right, so we're going to read a couple verses from the next plague. plague the plague of gnats, Exodus 8, verse 16 and 19. So the third place, we got, we got, we got blood, we got frogs, now we got gnats. The Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust on the ground. And throughout the land of Egypt, the dust will become gnats. Okay, skipping to verse 19. The magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But, but Pharaoh's heart was hard and he would not listen, just as the Lord had said. So up to this point, the first two signs, the magicians are able to copy, but now they can't, and say, this is the finger of God. I love that. God's little finger can just crush anything that resists him, these, these false gods. And so this was a victory over Geb. He's the god of the earth, the dust of the earth. Geb is not a living god. So then we have the plague of flies. It's the next, that's the next plague. Kapur, the god of beetles and of flies. If you notice, he has a, like a beetle for a head. So they have just flies, just let ever in, like, in, I just, you ever had a bug fly in your mouth? Like, or get in your ear or something like that? It's so thick, swarming flies. Like, that's, you know, flies are the one thing that can ruin just like a beautiful, you're, you're in the woods, it's just a beautiful summer day, 
And it's just God's glorious creation. But then those stinking flies. It's like, but can you imagine, like, like we're talking epic proportions, okay, which I'll expound upon on one of the other plagues, the, the, the proportions, okay, what we're talking about. Plague of, of the death of the livestock, okay, was the next one. So all the livestock in Egypt die. They have another major problem. They don't have any meat, okay, and they don't have ways, you know, the animals are used for other things as well. Um, and this is Apis, he's a sacred bull, and this is God's judgment on Apis. And then they have the plague of boils and sores. So boils. Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to spare you guys images of what it's like to be plagued with boils. Okay? But this was a direct victory over the god Isis, who was strongly intertwined with the well-being of the Egyptians. So we got boils. Then we got, then we have hail. So then there's the plague of hail. And nut, I don't know if it's actually pronounced nut, but maybe it's newt or something. This figure that goes along the outside is, is the goddess of the sky. And God says, no, I'm in control. These, this hail, it said it, it ripped trees in half. Like this is like bowling balls coming from the sky. Once again, Pharaoh hardens his heart. Once, it, once it's relieved, he says, he says Moses, Moses, take it. He says, take it away, take it away. Pray to your God. All right, I'll do what he says. Uh, actually, you know, this isn't too bad. We can handle this. It hardens his heart. This is my favorite one. Uh, the plague of locusts. Okay, Osiris was one of the most powerful Egyptian gods, and he gave them the gift of barley, essentially. That's, that's where they believe that barley originated from, was, was Osiris, and... Locusts, if you don't know much about locusts, they eat crops. And I was look. the Bible says this. Actually, do I have this in the PowerPoint? Yes. So the Bible says this about the locusts in Exodus 10. Never before had there been such a plague of locusts, nor will there ever be again. And so I decided to, I was like, wait, I'm not really familiar with locusts. I'm going to look up, what's the like, biggest recorded locust plague, right? Because whatever it is, the Bible's... This one, like, puts it to shame, okay? I started watching, I got on YouTube, started watching videos of locusts. Oh, my goodness, this stuff is insane. You should, look, you should seriously look it up. They come in swarms. Like, they look like dark clouds. Like, there's videos, like, this dark cloud just coming towards. And, guys, they have plagues. The plague of locusts, 40 miles wide. And they are made up of hundreds of billions of locusts. And a plague of locusts that large can eat 500,000 pounds of vegetation in a single day. So now they have a serious problem. Their crops are gone. Their meat's gone. Their crops are gone. Then, oops, there's the plague of darkness, the ninth plague. Ra, the god of the sun, he was so powerful. He said that he could recreate himself each day. That's why the sun would go down and it would come back up and Ra would recreate himself. Oh, he's so powerful. He is a, the head of a falcon and like a sun shining over his head. But God 
No. I'm in control. Darkness, complete darkness for three days. And then, right, we're getting, we're getting to that tipping point, that boiling point. Okay, Pharaoh's like, he's really hard in his heart, but it's just starting to get to be too much. Okay, we get to what's known as the plague of the death of the firstborn, also known as, this is where the Passover takes place. And the Passover is a monumental event. We need to be intimately aware of the details of the Passover as Christians because this is quite possibly the most, the thing that's foreshadowing the work of Jesus more than anything else in the, in the Old Testament. So here's the thing that Pharaoh knew would come to this. If you guys look at the scripture on the screen. This is back in Exodus 4, so we're backtracking. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. Pharaoh knew, what well, he, he probably doubted that it was coming, but now he knows it's coming. And this is God's judgment on Pharaoh. Pharaoh was a deity. At this point in, in history, it, it kind of used to be that pharaohs, once they passed, once they died, they were considered uh, deities, but now they're considered deities while they're alive. And so we have the Passover. And what happens with the Passover is that the angel of death comes, and the Israelites are instructed to take a lamb, to, to sacrifice it, to, to have a meal, and then to take the blood and put it over their doorposts. And that's the blood of the lamb on their doorposts is what makes the angel of death pass over their house, basically not kill their firstborn. Here's a scripture from Exodus 12. Verse 12, <clears throat> I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. You guys notice that. I will execute judgment on all the gods of Egypt. This is what God is doing. Like I said, it's not random, like, oh, let's think of this cool a bunch of flies, that'll be neat. No, this is intentional judgment on the false gods of the Egyptians. And so we have the Passover, right? The angel of death passes over the Israelites because they follow the instructions. They put the blood on their doorposts. And it's, a, it's just absolutely tragic the next day to just, just think about the tragedy that would have taken place in Egypt. The death of the firstborn. And Here's the thing that I guess I want to point out from this is that, you know, the Bible is, is so amazing because it's almost like a suspense novel because what we have going on here is the progression, like the reveal, we're only in Exodus, guys, but God just like continues to reveal himself all throughout the scripture and it culminates in Jesus and which, which Jesus in Hebrews chapter one is known as the exact representation or the image of God. We, God keeps making himself a little clearer, a little clearer. And, here, and here's an example of that. In Genesis chapter 4, that's Cain and Abel. And this is the first recorded sacrifices in the Bible. And Abel sacrifices an animal from his flock. And, and this animal from his flock 
is to atone for his sins. Right? Okay, then we have the Passover. And the Passover, specifically stated in Exodus, is one animal for the sins of the household. So this one animal now pays for the sins of the household. Then we have the Day of Atonement in Leviticus 16. The priest is instructed to sacrifice an animal for the sins of the entire nation. And then we have in the Gospel of John, John says, Behold, when he sees Jesus, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. It's just unveiled. That what God is really doing, what he's really up to during all this time. We, have, we know and we trust that Jesus' blood is our victory over sin and over death. Okay, we'll get to that in a minute. So, how does this apply to today? Right? Talking about Egypt, these plagues. Well, here's, this is the thing that made the most sense in my mind, is we, we need to talk about the false gods of today and God's judgment on them. And, you know, it's interesting that we, we, we can just become separated from the idea that we don't worship idols. And it's just completely false. Worship, definition, is to adore or have reverence for something. So it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter if it's a statue. Doesn't matter, doesn't matter what it is. We worship things. So, you know, people like that goes back to that whole like ancient search. They worship statues. How, how stupid is that? Well, how, how stupid is it to worship riches? How stupid is it to worship sex, lust? We worship these things. So, the false gods of today, I, I only, uh, we're, we're going to talk about six. I'm going to make it, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, okay? Because it's pretty, it's pretty self-explanatory. So entertainment would be one. False god of today, entertainment. Think about how many resources are allocated to our entertainment. Like I was, like I was kind of sharing earlier, like how obsessed and how I can search for, I mean, I look for entertainment in like the nooks and crannies of, of every second of every day. Like how can I get just a little bit? You know, and if I don't reach my quota, my personal quota of entertainment, I get real irritable. I get real ungodly. And that's not right. Come on. So, and, and there's, there's emerging, like more and more studies are emerging on the link between this, this constant connectedness to like, you know, the TV and the screen and social media to, to depression and suicide. And it's It's real. And it's, it's, it's just increasing. Astronomical. It is, it is a plague. It is an epidemic. And I believe that, that is, that's God's judgment. If, we, if our lives are so focused and so wrapped up in our own entertainment and our own pleasure-seeking, we will be so discontent and dissatisfied with life. And I've experienced that firsthand when, when, I've, when, that's, when I try to get my joy from from the things that can entertain me. Ugh. How about, how about enter debt? How much debt do we go on for entertainment? We, oh. Okay, so that's one. Another one, lust. 
We, we know a divorce, right? And half of marriages, they end in divorce. A lot of times because of lust. Broken families. Think about it. It's not just like, oh, a couple of people broke up. No, there's so much damage. So much damage when there's, whenever there's divorce. Pornography. Pornography generates $3,000 of revenue per second. The annual revenue of the porn pornographic industry is more than the NFL... MLB and NBA combined each year. The Bible says in Ephesians 5.3, but sexual immorality and impurity must not even be named among you. So I want to charge, this is, this is an insidious false god because it lurks in our minds, in our secret thoughts. And so I want to charge you Today, if, if you need to be open, if you need to repent of lust, don't sin against God anymore. And, and please, for the love of, if you're married, for the love of your spouse, the love of God's enough to motivate you, the love of your spouse, that motivates you. For the love of your future spouse, uh, you want to talk about, you want to you ruin one of the best things that God has given us in, in marital intimacy? Just keep, keep it a secret. That'll ruin it. The false God of productivity. You know, the people, this is probably, this is probably more for the, for the men. I think I find it so cool. Like, like you got you got guys like on YouTube who make their motivational videos. Like, yeah, I'm at the gym at 4 a.m. and I got 15 hours of work. I don't even sleep. I'm so productive. And I'm like, yeah, that's right. I'm gonna go crush this day. You know, and actually, I'm serious. I this is this is this is big because. I start, whenever, the, when I stop being productive, I, I get real, I get in a bad place mentally. Like, and, and I'm starting to realize that God, there actually, the Bible doesn't say a lot about, like, productivity. Like, God's not like, you need to be productive. He says you need to be obedient. And that's been really, really helping me. Now, obviously, that's not to discount hard work. The Bible talks about that. But we can't make productive, productivity our God. And, and how that, so basically, I start, you know, just think of whoever, whoever inspires you or, like, you think of as, like, wow, that person is, like, so productive. Or they're just, you know, they're doing projects and they're, they're just, they're making millions, whatever. Look, just do a little research into their personal life. You'll be sorely disappointed. Like, wow. There's just a lot of broken relationships and divorce and... So, for the sake of their productivity... The most important things, the most valuable things in their life, are they, they just break. They're gone. Their relationships, their relationship with God. There's no time for it because productivity is God. Riches, false God. 99% of the world's wealth is in 1% of the world's hands, and people die of starvation every day because of greed. There is, there is more, there's so much more than adequate resources to completely eliminate 
so many of these major world problems that we have, like starvation and thirst, things, people's essentials. And it's just greed that, it's this idea that we need that millions and millions and billions of dollars is, is worth, is somehow worth a lot. It's just not. So where, where it just, where are you allocating your, your resources and your money? And how, how do you, how do you act? Like, what, what happens when, when you get your hands on a little cash? Because me, see, my, fang, my fingers, they start to go like this when I get a little cash. <laughs> like, oh boy, what, 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 you know, what cool thing can I go to the store and buy now? <laughs> That's not good. Um, legacy, prestige, respect, ooh. Man, I, I know that's something that I've cared so deeply about. I want to manipulate every, everyone around me so that they, they think of me as someone who's worthy of respect. You know, it just doesn't matter because God is ultimately the judge. You know, Napoleon Bonaparte, as great as he was, he lives on in only the memory of one misguided soul in our congregation. <laughs> just, it just, just it's not worth it. doesn't matter. Security. Security is another false god. Put our hope in, and try to be secure. Far too many women give their, give their hearts or their bodies to unworthy men in hopes of gaining security. It leads us astray when we worship these things. So I'm going to end here in Romans chapter 12. Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, perfect will. It was a while back, but Joel did this incredible midweek lesson on holiness. And really... One of the, kind of, the, I guess, the thesis was that holiness is a direction that we move in. It's not a line. So, because I, because I can't tell, you know, is this, is this wrong? Is it wrong for me to look at my phone 20 minutes a day? I'm not, I'm not going there because I'm not going to draw, like, those types of boundaries for your life or, or anyone. You know, not just me or the minister or whatever. We're, that's not what we're into. What direction are you moving in in these areas? So I just wanted you to take time for, for entertainment and lust, all these false gods. What, just, just to take some time this week to assess, okay, what direction is my heart moving in? Is it moving towards these things? Or is it moving towards, towards God in these areas? And, that, and that's, that's, that's a lot. Sin, sin and false idol worship, is, it's just sticky. It like, it's, you know what I find? I don't like... Typically, I'm not, like, in, in, involved in just, you know, grotesque sin. Like, you know, for example, watching eight hours of television a day. I don't do that, right? But so I can, so I can have the attitude of, oh, well, it's, I'm not, you know, I'm not enslaved to entertainment. I don't, I don't, I, that person, they watch, they watch way more TV than I do. The Bible doesn't say anything about TV. What direction is your heart moving in? Are you like, man, sometimes when I get into a show on Netflix, it's like, I'm just like hoping that, the, that Ian's son needs to like run an errand. 
I'm like, don't you have anything to do? Because, like, I'm going to watch the show. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just insidious, and our heart sticks to our heart. So just uh, please, you know, ask God. You know, an awesome prayer in the Bible is examine my heart, God, to uh, t- lead me in the way of the everlasting. Guys, all authority belongs to God. All of it. Your individual authority over you, the authority over, over nations, over kings, over other gods, belongs to God. Any illusion of authority, we don't actually have any that we think we have in our lives, we must surrender to God or we will face his judgments and his wrath. Um, with that, I will say a short prayer and then we will have Grayson come on up for contribution and announcements. Uh, Heavenly Father, God, Lord, help us to worship you. That's why we're here today is to worship you, God, not false gods. So, Lord, I just pray that you bless, that you just prepare the fields for harvest in terms of our hearts, God, that we would, that we would obey you whatever way, whatever inkling that the Holy Spirit is giving us, God, that we need to move towards you in some area of our lives. May we just immediately obey, God, and cast off anything that hinders, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.